And this morning we are entering into a message series that will take us to the week after Easter, asking the question, who is this man? Asking it from the perspective of those first century folks who encountered Christ for the very first time. Who is this man? And we're going to find out that a lot of the confusion of the first century has carried through to the 21st century about who Jesus is. And you might be surprised to learn that we have some of that same confusion in our church, in churches across America, in American Christianity. Sometimes we stay confused about who Jesus really is. And this message series, we, in this series, we'll explore why that is and what we can do about that to get clarity, to clear up the confusion about who Jesus is so we can have a fresh walk with Jesus Christ. Find in your Bible with me John chapter 6, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And chapter 6, that's going to be our focal point uh, this week and the weeks ahead. So you can just mark your place there. And while you're turning there, let me say a couple of things. Uh, One, to give us framework for this series, but also before that. uh, Yes, as Pastor Mike mentioned, starting this Wednesday at noon, uh, here in the Worship Center, uh, we'll be having a new Bible study. Our our Wednesday Reset Bible study will start in 1 Corinthians just this Wednesday at noon. You can participate in person or by live stream. If you're participating by live stream and uh, your boss, you're not supposed to do that. Now, I hope if, if you are supposed to do that and you can do that, but you can't come here, by all means, take your lunch time and tune in. That's one reason I'm doing it at lunch, uh, because you may be able to say, hey, I'll take a break in the break room, or maybe you and some friends can gather up at lunch and, and watch this together uh, while you eat lunch. And if you're coming in person, feel free to, to do that. But... If, you're, if you do that on your boss's time and your boss finds out, I want to say to the bosses of the world, do not call the church office. Call 1-800-MIKE-BORTON. Okay, that's what you need to do. Uh, don't call me. Call Mike Borton. Yes. And if you need a cell number, you let me know. I will help with that as well. This is an exciting message series, I think, as we go into it uh, this morning. Uh, Tonight in the church family chat, I'm going to talk about moving forward. You need to realize this is is a year. This week, next week, technically next week, is a year since the first Sunday, churches like ours across America suspended services due to the COVID pandemic. Did we have any idea, any idea at all, what that intervening year would be like or where we would be to this day. I looked over the email I sent out to you, the church family, uh, that week when we made the decision to suspend services. And in that email I said, we anticipate that this may be for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It just illustrates how little we know. But God is in charge. The one thing we know for sure is that God is always in charge. He is the same God March of 2020 as He is in March of 2021. Same God, still in charge, and we can trust Him for what goes forward. Tonight, I'll share a little bit about what's on my heart. Meeting with the deacons at four this afternoon, so I'm going to share with them first and get some input from them, then come back uh, this evening. But one of the reasons I'm excited about this message series, as I've said many times already in 2021, as I want us to focus our attention forward, to grow in Christ, to grow as a church. You know, the, the exciting thing is that, in fact, God willing, 
2021 will be the year we remember we regathered as a church. It'll be the year we remember that the uh, the vaccines took effect, the pandemic dissipated, uh, that people were able to get back in business. Uh, new businesses arose, new ministries happened that come out of this. This will be the year we look back on and go, wow, what God did and what we didn't expect God to do. That he did, that he did and that he will do that great anticipation that God is going to do great things. We are reminded of that every time we go back to the Gospels and we're reminded of who Jesus is. Every time we focus in on Jesus Christ, the life of Christ, the work of God in Christ, every time we focus on Easter, we are reminded that God loves to surprise us with the power of God. God loves to show up when we're looking at our hard lives. God is saying, trust me for what comes next. And looking into the gospel of Jesus Christ, John chapter 6 in particular will remind us of who Jesus really is and what that means for us. And I hope coming out of this series uh, that God will impress upon you if there's any confusion in your life about who Jesus is. Whether you've been a follower of Christ many, many years or whether you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if he shows you you're confused about Christ, I hope that this series will help clear that up. We're not going to clear up every question about who Jesus is. We're going to focus in on a specific conversation and illustrate how we echo that conversation, how just like in the first century, people of the 21st century remain confused about Jesus and what happens when Jesus clears up that confusion and what God can do in our lives when we see who Jesus really is. Is. Let me give you some background to John chapter 6, a framework for the conversation we will be looking at. When we step into the story, uh, our focus is going to start at John chapter 6 and verse 22. And all of our, uh, all of the series will be in a uh, winding and lengthy conversation that Jesus had in, this, in that section of John and the gospel uh, that he had with a crowd, a fault, some folks that came after him and, and were excited about what they thought they could receive from Jesus. And that's the framework we need to understand. The gospel of John in the opening chapters uh, use as mile markers what John calls signs. Signs to John are miracles. But he uses the term signs to remind the reader that the miracle is not just about the miracle, it's, a, it's designed to do something. It's a sign. It's designed to point people to Christ and to understand who he really is. When we get to John chapter 6 and verse 22, John has already recorded for us five of these signs. John chapter 2, Jesus turns the water into wine and John says, that's the first sign. Then he heals the son of a government official. Then he heals a man who's been disabled and lame for 38 years. Then he feeds more than 5,000 people. The men were recorded and it's 5,000 men, so more than that. He feeds miraculously with uh, the multiplication of loaves and fish. Then at the beginning of John chapter 6, he walks on the water. When we come into the story, all five of those signs, those miraculous events have already happened. But we're going to listen to a conversation Jesus has with a crowd of people that are focused in on number four, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the people that Jesus fed that day. Before the night fell, the disciples left and went to the other side 
of the Sea of Galilee, or what in the region was called the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, but the, the local people called it the Sea of Galilee because it was a large lake, 13 miles long, 7.5 miles wide, very large lake for the region, and it was the hub of the fishing industry of the time. And Jesus fed the 5,000 on one side of that lake. The disciples departed to the other side. Jesus stayed back. But then during the night, Jesus walked on the water to the other side of the lake to meet the disciples. The next morning, the 5,000 plus people wake up and Jesus is gone. But all the boats are accounted for. There were no extra boats and the disciples took the only one that Jesus and the disciples had. So they go hunting for Jesus. Go looking for Jesus. The main idea and the core we want to zero in on this morning is why they were looking for Jesus. What it was they wanted from Jesus. Go there with me. John chapter 6. Look at verse 22. As we read this morning, picking up in the story as the crowd suddenly realizes that Jesus is gone that morning. The Bible says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that Jesus' disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, but not because I, you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may, may see and believe you? They ask, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We'll stop there this morning. As this series goes forward and as we dig deeper into the conversation underway, uh, we're going to see... The miracle of the coming of the Son of God. We're going to see Jesus talk about Himself. Reveal that He is God. And I want to encourage you, if you ever wonder, you may hear sometimes, well, Jesus never said that He was God. Actually, yes, He did several times. And this chapter and this conversation is one of those occasions. Uh, in unveiled terms to the Jews of His day, He revealed Himself to be God. Nothing less. The question is not whether he revealed himself to be God. The question is whether they got it or not. And they did not. Why? Because they were fixated on the food. They were fixated on the loaves and the fish. When we read that they went looking for Jesus, that gives hope. It, it, it gives possibility just like it does for us. They're looking for Jesus. Good for them. But are they looking for Jesus for the right reason? Because if they're not looking for Jesus for the right reason, they're going to stay confused about who he truly is. In much the same way that we stay confused today. We go looking for Jesus, we hunt Jesus, we pray to God and pray to Christ. But if we're not doing it for the right reason, if we're not focused on him as who he is, then we remain confused. 
And one of the main reasons, as we'll see this morning, for the confusion over who Jesus is, is that we tend to want to dictate what God does for us. We want to tell God what to do for us. And so we go looking for God, asking Him to do for us what we want Him to do for us. This is exactly what the crowd on that day was doing. They had been fed miraculously by Christ. The background of their teaching as Jews would have told them that's what the Messiah would do. And Christ is the Messiah, the long-awaited one, uh, also the Son of God. But their focus is still on the fish. Their focus is still on the food, not on who Jesus is. So they say, perform another sign for us. Do for us that again. Feed us again. Do what we want you to do. We're so accustomed to this in American Christianity, we hardly think about it anymore. But American Christianity is largely a consumer culture. We come to God to get what we want from God. And when God doesn't give us what we want, we get frustrated. That's God's fault. That's nothing that we, we think, well, well, you know, we read all the right books. We watched all the right talk shows. Why doesn't God give me what I want? Sometimes we treat God like a, a celestial vending machine. Our prayers are the coins that we put in there in our relationship with God. And we come to God and say, God, give me this. God, do this for me. God, I want this. God, change this. God, fix this. That's our coin. We put that in. And we think if we say the right words and we push the right buttons, God will deposit into our lives the right result. The right result being what we want. And when that doesn't happen, we get confused. But rather than admit, maybe we're wrong in our in our submission to God, and, and maybe we need to learn more about God, we start blaming God. He's not giving me what I want. Prayer doesn't work. Maybe I need to go to church more. Well, church doesn't work. I'm not getting what I want. And sadly, we actually go to church with that perspective, with that mindset. We come to church thinking, church is designed to make me feel good. Church is designed to give me what I want. Church is designed to operate the way I want church to operate. Is it any surprise that when we return in 2021, as with many other churches in 2021, we will find Christians who have decided, decided of their, of their own volition, I'm not going back to church. I like my mornings off. I'll just watch it online when it's convenient for me. Or they have decided to change to another church. Why? Because that home church, the church where they may have invested time and, and maybe the teachers and the pastors invested in them, that church did not do what they wanted them to do during 2020. So their problem isn't church. Their problem is their perception of God. And that perception that we God is, is, is obligated to do for us what we want. That, that's what this relationship is all about. Again, I want, I want to say flatly, I think we're so accustomed to that, we don't even realize sometimes that's what we're doing. For the same reason the people of Jesus' day were confused about Him when they came and said, perform a sign for us, give us what we want, give us more food, for that same reason we're confused today. We come and say, give us what we want. We focus on what God can do for us. So this morning, we're going to zero in on that for just a minute, just a few minutes. 
What happens and what does it say about us? What does it expose in our lives when our approach to God is what he can do for us? When we focus on what God can do for us. And, and this is the reason, I believe, the main reason we are confused about Jesus. We're confused about God and how to have a relationship with him because our starting point is our focus. What God can do for us. What does that expose about us? And if God speaks to you about this this morning, understand God is not condemning you. God is drawing you forth. God is drawing you out. God shows you this inclination, which is a sinful inclination, to come to God and say, give me what I want. God says, I want to change that relationship. I want you to have a, a good relationship with, with you. I want to clear up the confusion. And that's why he exposes these things through his word. He shows us this in his word. So then we will confess it. And then he can start over with us and we can start over with him. What does it say about us? First of all, when we focus on what God can do for us, we are motivated by selfishness. Our, our motives are selfish. Just fundamentally selfish. God knows our hearts and he knows our motivation. So did you notice Jesus said to them, uh, and he didn't answer their question. They said, hey, when did you get here to the other side of the lake? He didn't answer that question. Why? Because it wasn't relevant. And it would not have mattered if he had sat down with them and said, well, I came during the night. I walked across this seven and a half mile lake. Uh, take that to the bank for just a minute. The, the lake is 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide. Depending which direction he went, he, he could have walked a half marathon that night. He didn't answer that question. Why? Because it didn't matter. Because they were, they were wanting him to perform, to do for them what, what they wanted. And he knows their hearts and he knows their motives. And he says, you're not looking for me. You did not come seeking me or looking for me because of the sign. So telling you I performed another sign would not matter. You came looking for me because I fed you. And what he means by that is you did not get from the selfishness of wanting to be fed you didn't get from there to who I really am. And the purpose of a sign, that kind of miracle, Jesus says, is to show you who I am. It's not just to put food in your stomach. It's to show you who I am. Selfishness is inherent in the sinful condition. But, it, but God can clean out that selfishness. God can cleanse that selfishness. But pay attention to this. If you are motivated by what you want, you're approaching God with that inherently selfish attitude. Your motivations for asking for anything are basically because it's about you. It's what you want. It's what you want God to do for you. When we focus on what God can do for us, we're motivated by that. Selfishness. So take, let God take a hard look at your heart. Don't let God ask you about your motives, your motivations, even your prayers right now. And if you're going through a difficult time, pay attention to that, uh, because God tells us over and over that he will provide for us. Jesus said, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Uh, serve God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, what God tells us over and over in Scripture is that he will take care of us. Don't worry about that. It's okay to pray for the things you need, uh, but he knows what you need even before you ask, and he'll provide for you when you're on the path of following him and being faithful to him. So don't keep circling back to that. 
Instead, ask God to cleanse any selfishness in your prayer life, any selfishness in your understanding of Christ, to clear up that confusion that it's not God's job to dictate to everything you want, to, to, to answer every prayer the way you want every prayer answered. Uh, Christians are so accustomed to this, to doing this. You know what we do frequently, without even realizing what we're doing. We will strike a plan and strike off on that plan and then say, God, bless what I'm doing. Do for me, God, what I want you to do while I do what I really want to do. Bless what I'm doing. But the Bible teaches that God is already at work. We're to ask God to take us to, to call us to where He is already blessing, what He's already doing. And God, you know, God tells us over and over the will of God. He tells us constantly what He wants us to do. And when you do those things, you know those are the things, those are the places, those are the relationships that God is blessing. Top of the list, serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get the word of God out to the world. Tell people about Christ. Did you know every time you participate with God in sharing the gospel, God will bless that. You don't have to ask Him to. He'll bless that. He'll work in that relationship because He's called you to do it. So instead of being inherently selfish and saying, God, do for me what I want you to do, just turn that around and say, God, forgive me. What do you want me to do? Where can I join you, God, in what you're doing? So the first thing that happens when we focus on what God can do for us is our motives are selfish. Watch for that. Ask God to show you that. Ask God to show you that. second thing that happens when we focus on what God can do for us, what we want God to do for us, Our faith is stunted. Our faith is stunted. Jesus, again, knows this. And he he just tells the crowd. Look at verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. You are focused on the fact that I fed you, that I filled up your stomach. So you come to me believing that doing the work of God, serving God, that's what he means by the term work, and we're going to look at that next week, Doing the work of God, you think that is so you can get what you want from God. That sound familiar, church people? Serving on committees, serving on ministry teams, even just coming to church. So you check off that list and say, now that I've done that, God will do what I want Him to do. I'll get from God the things that I want. Jesus says that's not how this works. Because that's not what faith is. But here's the problem. When you operate from that perspective, your faith is stuck. It's stunning. Because you're in this cycle where you say, well, I I believed God would answer that prayer. He didn't answer it the way I thought He would, so I'll pray it again. Or I get mad at God. Or the church has let me down. Or Pastor Bob didn't say what I wanted him to say. However you plug it in, basically what you're doing is staying stuck in that one thing. The people that came to Jesus were still stuck in this. Feed us food again. Physical, material food. That's something else that happens when our faith gets stuck. We focus on the material. Pay attention to that. If you're constantly talking to God about material things, not the things of heaven, not the things that that Jesus focuses on, not seeing God work in great ways in other people's lives, but you're focused on physical things in your life. God, I need this. God, I want that. God, fix this. Your faith is stuck. In order to grow, faith has to be stretched. Faith has to be stretched. 
We're confused about Christ and we're confused about Jesus because we're confused about what faith is. Faith is the beginning of a relationship and it is how you connect with God in that continuing relationship. You trust Him for everything, which means you trust Him with your life, which means if He redirects that life, you trust Him for that. You trust Him for the big things coming up. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 43, verse 18, and then verse 19. And I'm summarizing it, but... God says, stop looking at former things. Stop looking at the things of the past. And I would say to you, church family, uh, and friends and family, church online as well, stop looking at 2020. Hey, that's done. And then he says in verse 19, I'm going to make streams in the desert. And God literally says, look, look ahead, watch this. I'm going to do something you've never seen before. See, that's the problem when our faith gets stuck in what we want, stuck in what we think God should do for us, focusing on that, is we forget God is all about new things. We want God to fix the broken things in our lives at the moment, but God wants to do something brand new. God wants you to see Him work in powerful ways, ways that can only be explained by God. Not by you, not by me, but by God showing up. That's what God wants you to see. He makes fresh ways for you when you say, God, I just want to trust you. And I'll do, listen, here's the talk, I'll do whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Change my heart, God, to be more like Christ. How do you know if your faith is stuck? Let me tell you. Because you're still asking God to do the same things your way that you've been asking for a long time. You keep coming to Him in prayer the same way. You're confused because you think Jesus' job is to do what you want Him to do. And you think faith means that God does what you want Him to do. Faith means you trust God for the unknown. You trust God to be where you haven't gotten yet. You trust God to to plan your journey and guide your relationships. You trust God to mend broken hearts. You trust God to heal you of your past and help you move forward. That's what faith is. If all the time you look into God and say, do what I want you to do. Give me physical food. Give me physical stuff. Give me material stuff. Fix my problems, God. Your faith is stunted. It's stuck. And it's time to get with God and move forward from there. Because what what's going to happen is you're going to learn more about who Jesus really is when you do that. Then one more thing that's exposed when we're, we're just saying to God, focusing on God, do, do what I want you to do. Do what, do what I want you to do. One more thing that God shows us. Your relationship stays shallow. When you're just saying to God, I just want to, I want to be comfortable. I want you to do what, what I want you to do. Your relationship with God doesn't grow. It stays shallow. Go back to verse 27. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that lasts for eternal life. You would think that would ignite a fire with anyone, right? Which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you're in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God has a whole lot more he wants to give you besides food, besides physical food, 
There is a spiritual eternal food, which is salvation in Christ. And then there's that eternal relationship, which is growing in Christ. But if your whole focus is on the physical, if your whole focus is on the material, if your whole focus is stuck in saying, God, do for me what I want you to do for me, your relationship with God isn't growing. Your relationship with Christ isn't growing. What does he mean when he says, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on the Son of Man. Set his seal of approval on me, is what Jesus means, on God himself, on Jesus Christ. The God the Father set his seal of approval on Christ. He's probably talking about that moment at Jesus' baptism when God the Father said out loud, listen to him, that is Jesus Christ, my son, my beloved son in whom I am well Please. The term translated seal of approval means certification. It means certification. It means that God the Father says that Jesus Christ is, the, is, son, is His Son, is God Himself in human flesh, and the only one certified to speak for God. The only one certified, the only one approved to tell people who God is, is God in, the, in human flesh, Jesus Christ. How shallow is it then that we just look at physical things when we have God Himself speaking to us? How shallow was it for that 5,000 people that all they could think of was the bread and the loaves when God Himself was standing before them and saying, I have the certification from the Heavenly Father to speak for Him because I am His Son, God in human flesh. Wow. So how shallow is it of us? When all we can think of is what we want God to do. God, give me this. God, give me that. And God is saying, you can have a relationship with me. A growing, thriving, love relationship with God Himself. Does, does all that mean that you, you shouldn't bring to God your worries, your cares, your burdens, your heartaches, your needs? Of course not. We saw it earlier. Talked about it earlier. God cares about you. And the reason he tells you over and over and over in Scripture that he cares about you is so that you won't worry whether he cares about you or your physical needs or your brokenness. No, it's so that you will say, God, I trust you with that and I want to grow in my relationship with you. How do you know if your relationship with God is shallow? Well, you you can tell it by your prayers, asking for just what you want rather than what God wants in your life. Rather than, rather than growing that relationship, you can tell it by what you do seven, six days a week before you come to church on day seven. If you're spending time with Him and His Word, there's no way to nurture a relationship if you don't spend time together. So are you spending time with Him? Are you spending time in His Word? You can tell it by the nature of your prayers. Are they prayers of duty? Well, okay, we got we got to say grace at the table real quick and then we can eat. You can tell it by whether the only time you get really serious in your relationship with God is when things go south in your life. It's like when you need a doctor. And all of a sudden you go, Whoop, I must not, something's not right. I've got to go to the doctor. And you treat God that way. You say, whoop, I've got to rush to Him. He's the professional. He'll take care of my mess. He'll take care of my finances. He'll take care of my relationships. But when things are going well, you say, well, God, I'm just going through the motions doing my duty. That's not a relationship. Is it? A lot of Christians 
have a relationship with God that's about two inches deep. Because we're not nurturing that relationship all the time. We see Jesus as the one to give us what we want. We see God the Father as the one to give us what we want. Like a grand Santa Claus in the sky. When we need him, we'll let him know. But Christ called you to a relationship with God. Remember, the one thing Jesus can give you, and he has the certification, the seal of approval to do it, the one thing Jesus can give you that no, no one else can, no other religion can provide, it comes from no one else, nowhere else. The, the one thing he can give you is a relationship with your Creator through the forgiveness of your sin. When you ask him to forgive you, to give you eternal life, to be born again in Christ, you enter into that relationship. He wants to give you that. And that's the one prayer that he answers unequivocally across the board, the cry out of the heart. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. Come into my life. Cleanse me of my sins. And he'll do it when you trust Christ. That's what he wants to do. Then your relationship starts and you start following Christ. Thomas Torrance was a writer and theologian of the 20th century, well known in his field, in his area. But before that, he was a chaplain in the army in World War II. And later on, he would tell the story of a, of a soldier, a young man who was dying in his arms. And as he held the young man, the young man looked into Torrance's face and he said, is God really like Jesus? And Torrance, before he said how he answered the question, he said, that's the cry of every heart, isn't it? That's the cry of every person. We want to know if when we meet Jesus, this is who God is. This is what God is really like. We want to know before we cross over into eternity, if the one we're going to meet there is the baby in Bethlehem here and the man on the cross here. We want to know before we cross over into eternity, if the one we're going to meet there and stand before there is the one that we can have a relationship with now. He said, it's the cry of every heart. And then he said, here's what I said to him. I said, yes, yes. When you look into the face of Jesus, you look into the face of God. He is your God. Trust Him. And He'll welcome you home. That's what Christ can do for you. There is no confusion for those who trust Christ fully as their Savior. For those who say, God, look into my heart and where there has been selfish motives and what I'm asking of you, God, forgive me of that and cleanse that. For those who say, God, forgive me for a shallow relationship and a stunted faith. God, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to trust you for what comes next. And I want to see you work in my life in ways I don't even expect yet. And God will show up and God will do it. No confusion about that. I want to pray for us first. First for believers in Christ. And this message may have echoed with you some this morning. You may realize that you keep... Uh, falling into that default mode of selfishness and saying, God, I just want what I want. And, and you may realize that you become something of a consumer in church, just trying to get out of it what, what you want out of it. I want to pray with you about that. God will forgive you for that. God will cleanse you for that. We're, we all drift back into selfishness now and then. 
And God's glad to show it to us so He can forgive us and cleanse us and then move us forward. And then I want to pray for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. This is what He can do for you. He can answer that prayer. He's the only one who can to forgive you of your sin, cleanse you of sin, give you a new life, an eternal life in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to this moment, God. God, how we're so thankful for who Jesus really is. And Father, we thank you, God, that in your word you reveal to us the truth that Jesus is God, your Son, in human flesh. So Father, for for all of us, believers in Christ, those of us who say, yes, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, God, forgive us for drifting back into the notion that your job is to give us what we want. Forgive us, God, for making it about us, for our consumer mentality, God. Please forgive us for that. God, cleanse us of that. Fill us with your Spirit in a fresh way. Show us, Father, the direction you want us to go. And Father, I pray for all of us, you would bolster and strengthen our faith this morning. Father, I know in this room and at home, online, there are folks whose faith has been battered by 2020, whose faith has been struggling even now. God, help us to take our faith and our eyes off of the physical things and to focus on you, the one who can give us food that never perishes, the one who can give us eternal life, the one who can give us the power to live, the direction, the hope that we need, God. We give all of that to you today. Father, help us to grow in our relationship with Christ as well. And God, if you reveal to us that our faith is stuck and our relationship is shallow, Father, I pray you forgive us, cleanse us, and grow us in our faith, God, in the days ahead. And Father, now for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, but realize this is what you can do for us. This is what you have done for us in sending Christ your Son to die on the cross for us, for raising Him from the grave. You can forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. Father, if there's one, just one, who's never trusted Christ, I pray today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in Christ and pray this prayer with me to do just that. So God, I pray for them right now to bow and to pray this prayer to give their lives to Christ. Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. Jesus, I feel hopeless and I feel weak and I realize now it's because I don't know you. So Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You died for my sins. I believe you're alive today. Come into my heart, into my life. I repent of my sins. I leave the old behind. And today I start over following Christ as my Savior. Father, for those who prayed with me this morning, here in house and at home, for believers, God, I pray this will be a fresh start for us. For those who just trusted Christ as their Savior, God, I pray we would know that joy of the presence of God in our lives today. And Father, I pray we would follow through in those commitments in a very simple way, God, to follow through, to follow up and to move forward with Christ today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.